Guys, would you grab a copy of the Scriptures, a Bible, and open up with us to 3 John this morning. That's where we are. Sunday morning is just verse by verse making our way through this little letter, the shortest letter in the New Testament, wanting you to see that. So hopefully you brought a Bible, you're making your way there. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you uh, that you can grab hold of there in the chairs, page number on the screen. Invited to follow along with us in that, or if you want to follow an electronic uh, device and a Bible app that you're enjoying that, do that as well. But one way or another, we really want to encourage you to have the Scriptures open before you so that God would speak to you His Word in our time this morning. That's true here. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, we just want to give the same invitation. Have a copy of the Scriptures open. Be in this space where we are studying the Scriptures together and the Scriptures would be at work in you. So we invite you to have that open as we just enter into this space this morning. With that in mind, let's take a moment and ask God for help. I'm going to pray, but I'm hoping you would pray. Let's just ask that He would take His Word and make it understandable to us, but also effective in our lives. I'm going to ask, but you ask, that God would speak to you this morning. God, here we are. And it's a good space just to be able to enter in and, and study your scripture together. Thank you for your word. I think about what you tell us about your word, that everything necessary for life and godliness is found here, found in a relationship with Jesus, in your promises, in your word. Thank you that your word is powerful, that it's alive, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to do spiritual surgery, as it were, inside our soul changing us on the inside out. Lord, I love that that's your plan. I love that that's what you do. But God, I just ask for it now. Would you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us? Help us to understand truth that's in front of us, but Lord, in your great faithfulness, I recognize that in this room, the direct applications are going to be different. You have a way of taking your truth and, and just working it perfectly into what we needed to hear so that you take what you have for us and, and it grabs us and gets us and draws us to the life that you have for us. God, would you do that now? Would you give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying in this moment, in this place, in this time? We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Examples are one of the most powerful influences in our lives. By God's design, we are made to be those who are impacted by and are able to be molded by and shaped by that. Now, we literally find this true in our lives all the time. Uh, some of you know that. You've kind of figured out the, the need of good examples in life. You found out uh, in career sometimes that need for mentoring and that space where you look at somebody who's gone ahead of you. And honestly, just factually, I mean, for some of you, you don't have any idea how you got along without YouTube. I mean, like, how do you do anything? I YouTubed it, and then it's like, then I know how to do it. I just, I watched somebody else do it, and now I know. Like, now I know because I saw it done, now I know how to do it. Hey, true story, but it works. It's the same reality in Christ that God has given us this, that he has called us to godly examples, where Paul would be able to say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, follow examples because we're made that way. It is one of the reasons why so much of the scriptures you have in your hand, our story, our, our lives that you get to see the truth lived out, just get to see how that works and always kind of helpful to understand that and then go towards that. I think about where we are here in Third John. We have titled this 
series in this small book, kind of a tale of four men and a church, and that's exactly what we have. We have four men laid out in this book that help us just to see kind of their lives and how they were living in in the midst of this. We have already covered the first one, the exemplary elder and John, and saw this godly older man. We're going to see the dictatorial Diotrephes and the devout Demetrius. But today I want to draw you for a second week to think about this godly man named Gaius, one that is doing well. And I want to tell you he's a good example. He's a good example for you. He's one that if you're trying to figure out how to do some of this, you just say, if I want to see it done, then I want to see it here, and God's just going to hold him out to you. Now, if you missed our study last week, you might want to go back and get it, because it really is kind of like a part one uh, to this message, because we begin uh, looking at this man, Gaius, that's recorded for us here in Scripture, and it simply told us a few things, that he was prospering, that is his soul was prospering. Like he was doing well and growing. And the way that he did that is he knew the truth and he was walking in the truth. He knew it so that the truth became personal to him and he lived it out. That is just wonderful example right there. To be a people who say, I want to know it and do it. That's, that's what we are meant to do. That's what Gaius is doing and a great space. And we covered that last time. But we highlighted as we ended last week that he also does something more. He didn't just know it, he didn't just walk it, he supported it. That he was one that was involved in that in a powerful way, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I've been doing this little silly alliteration thing. If it works for anybody, that's great. So I was thinking about this godly guy, I said, but we had to have a second week, so I'm going to add in a, another word. We're going to call him the godly gospeling Gaius. Um, now, I just want to be honest with you, so gospeling is not actually a word. So if somebody's going to be like, Jim, I think you misspelled it. I, think I, said, I create lots of words. Uh, my kids used to keep a dictionary when they went here. It's like, this is like dad's created words. You know, it's like, I just do every now and then. I just like this one. I think it makes sense though, but I do it intentionally here. The idea of gospeling, that we are a people who are meant to be about the gospel and, and a people who are doing that. If we were going to use maybe another term to say the same thing, I might use the term missional. Now, missional was a big term about 10 years ago in the church. It probably went some weird ways in some people's lives. But I can tell you this, I think it's a good example of what we're supposed to be, that we are meant to be about missional. We are meant to be about missions. We are meant to be about the gospel. And Gaius is going to be an incredible example for us in how to do that. But we need to do a little bit of back work. We need to just talk about this for a moment. So let's put Gaius to the side and let's just talk about this idea of missional or gospeling or being a people about the gospel and that really being one of the core realities of what it is to be the church, one of the core purposes for what the church is. And I don't know if you understand that. I mean, you think about it every now and then you just almost like, what business are we in? I mean, what's the point of church? What is it we're doing? Now, honestly, there's a lot of answers to that. We are here for God's glory. We are here for Him. That's true. We are here to love Him and know Him and make Him known. We are here to to love people. Those are all true. But when we look at what the church is meant to be about, uh, kind of the business, if you want to say it that way, I would tell you that I believe that the the idea of missions and, and the gospel, it is meant to be understood like that is who we are. 
That is what we are. This is, this is the very nature of, of the very purpose of our existence. And I need to hold that before you because this is really much the, the issue that's being addressed through the entire letter uh, of 3 John. So we just need to wrap our mind around it for a moment. So I just want to give you a few kind of key thoughts that kind of reinforce this reality, although I could give you so many more, but just so that we are on the same page. So when we think about missions... We think about that being one of the key things within the idea of being a church. I would begin by telling you that Jesus Christ is the greatest missionary that has ever existed. I mean, when you think about what a missionary is, I would tell you Jesus is that in spades. I mean, massively so. I mean, we think about that idea. God so loved the world that he gave or he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what's a missionary? A missionary is one who leaves their home, uh, goes to a foreign country many times, and, and there to take the gospel. So they go in there. Sometimes they will adopt the culture. They have to learn the language. Uh, they, they, they seek to sometimes kind of get in there so that they can bring the gospel forward. And if I can say it in a very simple way, Jesus did that in massive ways. He left heaven, came to earth, he took on flesh. He became a man to become the gospel for us, to die on the cross for us, to pay the price for our sins. He is the communication of that. He's the one that, that is the word of God speaking into our lives. He is everything that that is. Whatever a missionary is, Jesus is everything in that and so much more. He is the greatest missionary ever. And, and it's a central part of who we are. That understood, then that would make God the greatest sender. And I want you to think about it this way because I want you to feel the whole Godhead involved, involved in this. That God is the one that so loved the world. There in John 3, 16, it told us that he sent his son. Wow. So missions is in one sense this key flow of what God is actually doing. But let's think about it a little bit more. In a different way, I would want you to think about it. That if you're a follower of Jesus, then every Christian really is a missionary. That all Christians really are meant to be living their lives as missionaries. Jesus said it this way. So he's, you know, died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's meeting with his disciples after that, beginning to share with them the things that they need to have to go forward. And he simply said it this way in John 20. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Hey, I've been sent I was sent by the Father into the world. Now I'm sending you. Now I'm sending you. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about it this way. Heaven is now our home. Philippians says it this way. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our real home, our real dwelling place is now meant to be where we understand, hey, that's heaven. Like That's where we really belong. Here on earth, we're on the mission field. We're here as that, so much so that Jesus would tell us that you are the light of the world. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and says, in this broken world, you're it. You're the message. You're the message of the gospel. You're the way that that's happening so that who you are in this world is meant to be a missionary. Yeah, Every Christian rightly living their lives is in that sense a missionary. In fact, think about it this way. Maybe this will be helpful. 
So missions in a, is authentic Christianity lived out intentionally in a place where a missionary is seeking to advance the gospel. Now, this means a lot to me, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to communicate it as clearly as I can, but sometimes I think we get it wrong. I, we, we don't actually think about what does it actually mean to be a missionary. So my sister, many of you guys know, she is a missionary. She's been serving overseas in the Middle East for over 25 years, and so we've just been able to talk much about this over the years, had so many good conversations, but I can still remember one of the conversations where she simply said, you know, when you think about what we're doing, is that we're just authentically living the Christian life out in a place where God has called us to go. See, understand this. In majority of the, of the spaces where the gospel needs advancing in our world today, it's impossible to go to any one of those countries and be professionally a missionary. It's true in the Middle East. It's true for my sister. And so they couldn't just go there and have their job title be missionary. The only way they could get into the country is have a legitimate job have a legitimate job that gives them status for being there. Now, you couldn't go there and hold crusades. There's no outreaches because, again, that culture doesn't accept it. So how are they advancing the gospel in that culture? Well, they got a job. They met people. And then in their job and in their neighborhoods and in the people they met, they shared the gospel. They sought to just kind of take, redeem every opportunity they could to, to share Jesus. And as people come to know Jesus, they begin to encourage them to become and be a part of a church or establishing local churches in that places. And they're just doing that intentionally. So my sister and I are having this conversation. And in one sense, she said, but actually, that's what every Christian is supposed to be doing everywhere. I mean, what they're doing there is actually what you're supposed to be doing here. Like, we have a job, or we live in a space, and we should be influencing our neighbors, our friends, and the people. We, and we were meant to be the light of the gospel here so that people get saved, and we encourage them to be a part of the church. She says, that's what we're doing. The only thing is that we've been called specifically to do it in an area where it's not being yet known. It's the only difference because it's just basic, real Christianity lived out. And I would tell you that's true, that if you could see it, missions is what we are. Missions, the gospel, building in the kingdom of God, it is what we do. So it is fundamentally just not something extra or on the side of what it is to be a Christian. It is us. Now, hold that. Again, I don't want to make that confusing because I just made this statement that we're all missionaries in a sense. That said, there are those who are called to take the gospel into areas where it's not yet being known. And we call those missionaries in our, in our culture, rightly so. And as I think about that, I want you to understand this, that that calling as a missionary is the highest calling of serving in the body of Christ. It is the highest place that God wants us to esteem and seek. Now, I can say that because God says that. He does so in 1 Corinthians. Many of you guys were reading the scriptures with us, if you're reading through the Bible together with us, and so you just read 1 Corinthians, and in there you saw in chapters 12, 13, and 14, that in essence, we're talking about the body of Christ the gifting, how that every person in the body of Christ has a gift, and we're all like a body, and you remember, they know, you know, the tongue can't stay, you know, the, you know, to the, you know, has no space, you know, the foot can't say, hey, I have no place. I mean, we all have a space in the body of Christ, kind of a fun uh, reality, but in the midst of that, he gave us a list. So at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. 
So he begins to lift out these gifts, and yes, I actually believe all these uh, still are at place in, in the body of Christ today, and he gives us some, some ways to order that. So let's think about that for just a couple of moments. So God has appointed these in the church, first apostles. Apostles. Let's wrap our mind around this. Understand this, when this is talking about it here in 1 Corinthians, I do not believe he's talking about uh, the place of what we would call the 12 apostles or the 12 that Jesus appointed to be with them. Their role in history is unique and unrepeated. Jesus chose 12 as he laid the foundation of the church to be there, but that was never something that continued to be moving because those spaces are only theirs. We get that even as we look forward into the future. In the book of Revelation, it says the wall of the city, this new Jerusalem that we're going to see, has 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I mean, as we think about what this new city is, it's founded, it's built this foundation, and these 12 apostles are listed there. They're never added to, they're never, never more. Uh, it's not a continuing thing that continues to happen in church history. And I would put to you that I don't believe that when it talks about it here in 1 Corinthians or when it talks about it in Ephesians, that's not what we're talking about. Because he's talking about what the gifts should look like there and what serving Jesus should look like now in these regions that are now outside of Jerusalem, that now have moved on. So we're not talking about the 12. Then what are we talking about? Well, the Greek word uh, for the apostle is apostolos uh, in the Greek language. It's kind of a fun word. It's two Greek words slammed together. And I just draw your attention to it so you can see it. Uh, the word apo is from, stello is to send or to appoint. It has this idea of sending from or appointing or of kind of this recognition of, of going out to carry and represent. And I would hold to you that I believe that this is the term for what we would call a missionary in the Bible. Now, you may not know this, but the word missionary is not actually found in the Bible. I mean, they never actually call it that. We do. We understand it. Not bad that we do, but again, it's not used there because in one sense, we all are. Nevertheless, there is those who are called to take the gospel forward in this, and I would tell you that I believe that this idea of having apostles is to be that. The idea is to have those who were sent who are recognized by appointment, they're sent as emissaries or even ambassadors. That was used in the culture in that way, by the way, where we would think about an ambassador from the United States or something to another state. Well, that idea of apostle was used in the culture that time in that way, and it kind of carries over into this that when we think about what an apostle is, I again would tell you, I think it's a missionary. I think it's a missionary. I think it's a, a part of that. So hold that just very quickly since we're kind of looking at this list that he gives us, this first, second, and third. Let me very quickly try to give a couple of definitions because I still think it's still happening. The second that he gives on the list is, is, is in the midst of that. Sorry, actually, I got ahead of myself. Back up. Beep, 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 beep. It's good that you have slides every now and then. They just help you to do that. So let's just pause again and say, okay, apostles is the highest part in the service in the body of Christ, and we're actually meant to esteem it. We're actually meant to esteem it because it's interesting. When he lays this out, the verse right before and after, he says it this way. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, but earnestly desire the best gifts. He says, you're all part of the body of Christ. Everybody has a space to play in it. We're individually a part of that, but you should desire to, to be as used by God as you could possibly be. 
you should desire kind of the best gifts. But he just laid that out, like first is apostle, second prophet, third teacher. I mean, like we should look at that and esteem that as the highest place of service within the body of Christ, that we would say, okay, it is that. Okay, now let's go to this. So we talked about apostles. Let's quickly give definitions to the others. Prophets. Are there prophets today? Well, yes, I think there are. Now, let me be very careful with that. There's no new revelation. Uh, the Bible has been seeing everything we need for life and godliness. There's nobody adding to the scriptures today. It's not going to be that way. But most prophecies uh, found even in the scriptures or are recorded aren't that. In fact, it will tell us in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians that prophets speak edification, uh, exhortation, and comfort to men. That there is a sense that they come with a message that would shape many ways the world. And I would say it happens in a far more natural way uh, than a super spiritual way. I would look upon people today who influence the entire body of Christ. Sometimes that can be an author. Uh, sometimes that can be someone who has a platform that their, their voice isn't just for a local church, but it becomes a voice that speaks into the entire body of Christ. I would think about somebody like, let's just say John MacArthur. He would probably never say that he, that he is this, but I would say he's got a voice that's bigger than his local church. He's got a voice and, and many others who are influencing the entire body of Christ, and it's a prophetic voice. It's a voice that would say, hey, this is what you know, the church is needing, and this in every generation has that in a very natural way. And then there would be teachers. He says, third would be teachers, and I would hold out that that would be pastors. Now, without spending a whole bunch more time on this, let me just pause and say this. Again, he's giving us this order, this space of what it would look like, a place where we'd say, okay, it's first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. But in this, I want to hold out to you, it's an order of service. So I don't know how to unpack this because I really would like to spend a bunch of time on this, but I don't have time to do it. As humans, we have a propensity of being self-absorbed, and sometimes when people think about even uh, serving, sometimes we see it as exaltation. Uh, Jesus talks about this over and over. The disciples would come, and they would talk about things, and, and he says, hey, that's how the world does things. He says, you know, the world does it that way. The world sees leadership as, you know, ruling and reigning and people serving you and people waiting on you. He says, it's not going to be that way among you. He says, I didn't come to do that. I came to give my life away, and, and you're to do the same. So sometimes people will look at this, and they will look at apostles and prophets, and there are sections of our church today where people will look at this, and they will take these as um, prideful um, places of, of exalting themselves in authority, and it's just never meant to be that way. It's always meant to be service. And so it's a much easier thing to say, no, this isn't about that. This isn't about power or manipulation or control. It's about being a be benefit to the body of Christ. And if we can see it this way, then we look at it and say, okay, the first and the primary call is we are about taking the gospel to the world. So that would make sense that missionaries, this apostolic call would be second. And then, you know, the health of the body. I mean, like we're always needing kind of prophetic voices to hold us. And then there are teachers. And, and each of these becomes significant. But in one sense, part of the point is to make sure we have the order correct. Because this is really the issue of 3 John. The issue of 3 John is they get it wrong. They begin to reorder the church. And this happens all the time happens all the time in churches, it happens all the time in people, that instead of seeing us as a part of the body of Christ, the church begins to see themselves as the end. Uh, that a church becomes focused on themselves and becomes focused on them, and missions becomes optional. 
It becomes a subset of what the church is. You know, prophetic voice becomes no longer necessary. And so what happens when a church gets this way, they would often say, what I'm doing right now is like, hey, that's like the high water mark. Like that's, you know, like the pastor of the church. Like that's, boy, that's like, you know, that's like the main thing because this is what we do. We do church. And it's like, no, no, no. We do missions. We, we take the gospel to the world. This is only this to be a part of that. Everything we are is about this, and to get the church to be the focus is, is an incredible wrong thing, but it happens all the time, happens all the time. That's what we need to talk about. That's what we need to continue to see in our study of Third John, you know, seeing all that this is. Let me give you one other passage that says much the same thing, if it's helpful. So in Ephesians 4, he himself, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gives us the same list. And it's just worth noting it's in the same order. So we have apostles, which we've said as missionaries. We have prophets. We have an addition here that wasn't found in Corinthians, and it is evangelists. But honestly, for Bible students, uh, it, is a kind of a, it, it is a prophetic voice. And in some ways, it would seem here in Ephesians, he kind of de- delineates it different. Like we have a prophetic voice to the church, and then we have a voice of speaking the gospel, which is evangelists who are speaking, you know, proclaiming the gospel into the, the world. And then we have pastor teachers. So once more, we see it. It's a part of this, but the order is meant to be that way. So if we're feeling it, if this makes sense, there ought to be a sense that we understand, hey, this is the body of Christ. The act of missions, it's the, it's the big deal. It's the, it's, it's the thing that everything, we should want everything to move in that direction. It's the highest calling in Christ. It's the space that everything we are kind of builds that up. Now, there's more I could say. Let me give you a couple other quick ones, and then we need to get back to Gaius. So we think about all of this, and I would add to this that the Great Commission stands. The Great Commission stands. So ends the Gospel of Matthew, ends Mark, where Jesus, as he is ascending and leaving us, he gives us this commission that most of you know. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I mean, that is just like all authority. It's like, it's all mine. Like, this is all authority. It's mine. Therefore, go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, go. Take this to the world. Take it to all, all nations. You're going to keep doing this till I come back. I'm going to help you till I come back. That's what he said. You're gonna, I'm with you to the end of the age. Like This is our standing commission. This is our standing order from, from Jesus. Take the gospel to the world. Go into the whole world, make my name known. Like, this is who we are. That's our commission. That's our command. That's our calling. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is seeking to empower. So we think about this. The Holy Spirit, he is right now empowering this, causing us to be the witnesses of Christ locally to globally. I think about that verse in Acts 1, 8 that some of you know well. So Jesus had given this great commission. Then he said, hey, you need to wait for the Spirit. Because you're not going to be able to do it without him. But when he comes upon you, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Wow. It's a good little ordering, so I'm just going to kind of order it this way on the screen so you can see it. We're to be his witnesses. We're to be those who shine the light of the gospel uh, into this world. And he says it should happen in Jerusalem, which was where they were, the city where they were located. Judea, the country outside of that, Samaria, the country outside of that, a little bit off, and then to the ends of the world. 
Now, that was true for them, but I would put to you, as many others would say the same, this is always true of us, that when we think about Jerusalem, that's local, that we are meant to be the light of the gospel locally. Like, for us, if this is your city, Roswell is our Jerusalem. We are meant to shine the light of the gospel here in Roswell, but then we go all the way to the end of the world, and if I can just communicate this in ways that some of you will understand and maybe somebody really needs to hear, it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. The, the idea of missions is meant to be all-inclusive. See, for somebody, sometimes it happens where some people are like, man, I'm only concerned about my Jerusalem. Like, I just want to impact Roswell. Like, you know what? I can't, you know, this is where I'm called. This is where I am. And I want to tell you, good, you should. Like, we are meant to impact Roswell. But then there'll be somebody else who's like, man, we just, it's all about the end of the world. It's all about China and the Middle East. And, you know, who even cares what happens in Roswell? Like, we need to be doing, you know, missions to the end of the world. And I tell you, no, 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 it, it's all inclusive. It's local to global. It's, it's meant to be so that we are wanting to be involved in the whole package, you know, and everything in there, because that's who we are, and that's what the Spirit is empowering. So if you're kind of tracking with this, this now begins to complete a little picture that we've talked about, that this is what the entire Godhead is doing. Jesus is the greatest missionary, God is the greatest sender, and the Holy Spirit is the power that is working this out. Like, this is what we do. This is what the Godhead is doing. Missions is what we are. This idea of the gospel and, and taking the good news of Christ to the ends of the world. That would make church, what you and I are doing here today, as a facilitating place for missions. So let's go back to a verse that we were just talking about a moment ago. It's one where he speaks about the church and the things that are there. One of my favorite uh, verses that talk about it. It's there in Ephesians 4, just the first section of it where it says, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Notice the two things. He says, here's what these are. This church leadership is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's think about it this way. Church done wrong church done wrong like they were doing wrong in 3 John, is when this becomes the end, where the whole goal is just to do church. Like, this is what we do. Like, we just, we, we, you know, everything is just about coming on Sunday, and we just want to sit here, and this is it. This is, the, this is the big deal. This is what we are. This is what we do. And the end of the game, the, the, the end goal is church. And I want to tell you, no, 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 no. The end goal is the kingdom of God. The end goal is missions. The end goal is the, is the gospel to everything so that the church becomes that which facilitates that. So missions is meant to be reaching the end of the world, but missions, again, is all of us. So if you get this right, you come in here to get stronger so that you can go out there and be the light of the gospel. Now, we, we think about this all the time. So the idea is that you should be coming in here today knowing, hey, this wasn't the end. This wasn't the end goal. The goal was to come in this morning and worship God and pray, and study His Word, and to find my soul strengthened so that when I walk back out those doors, I'm going back out into my mission field. I'm going back out to shine the light of the gospel. Now, I think about it. Some of you notice, or not, now you will. Um, that's almost always how we end our service. Uh, Royce will end praying for us, and, and he uses different words, but the concepts are almost always there. Then he'll say, you know, now we're going to go out there. 
Now there are going to be opportunities for us. There are good works that God has prepared for us. And we're going to walk out those doors to go out and be the gospel. Like that is what we are meant to do. This is not the end. This was the means to, to strengthen that which we are called to do. Now that would happen locally, globally. That would be so that this becomes a means where the gospel goes forward locally, but also encouraging the church globally so that church isn't the end of the goal. You know, it's, 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 the, it's the gospel. It's the kingdom of God. All of this fades away. Think about it this way. So there's the day that Jesus is coming back. I can't wait. You know, when he comes back, so many of the things that Christians have invested their life into, churches have invested their life into, are just going to go by the wayside. There's no going to be there's no going to be Calvary Chapel you know section. It's not going to like so. Where's the Calvary Chapel section of heaven? You know, no no First Baptist. It's just going to be the kingdom of God. It's just going to be the kingdom of God. It's just going to be hey we're there as God's kids and everything that this is is going to go away. And how good it would be is if we just lived that way. It's like I'm not here to build this. I'm here to build that. You know whatever this is is only to strengthen that because these things go away. We're about doing this thing. This is what the church is. Now I give you these seven things, but I want to tell you I could give you so many more. I would tell you from the cover to cover of Scripture, I believe this is the heart. This place where you could think we could talk about the kingdom of God, that that we are about the kingdom of God, not about the kingdom of men, not about churches. We're about building that, and and that would so speak into this moment. I could talk to you about Jesus, who told us that he would be building his church, and the gates of Hades would not withstand it. And I would remind you, if you understand that metaphor that Jesus is using, he's not talking about the church being some safe place from hell, because he says the gates of hell are not going to withstand us. Gates don't attack anybody. Like, gates are never the attacking thing. Gates are the, we're attacking the gates of hell. When Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, he says, we're going we're gonna to press into the world. We're going we're gonna to press into the, 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 dark, the, the realm of the devil, and the gates of hell are not going to stop us. We're going to keep on seeing people saved. That's what the, Jesus is doing. I would tell you that even in the realm of spiritual warfare, that understanding this is significant. Some of you understand the whole armor of God that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6, and he says our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And it's a, a metaphor that's used out of the book of Isaiah that we recognize where we stand. Like, we, we are those with the gospel. We are those with the message of the gospel. We are here to announce the good news, and that roots us. That gives us solid standing in this broken world if we can remember where we are. Like, I'm a messenger of the gospel. Like, that's effective both in, in, in my own spiritual good and the good of that and even resisting the lies of the devil. So much more, and I could give you so much more, but we need to leave it for time's sake and come back to it and say, okay, so now we're looking at it. We've seen it, and I've just tried to reiterate that the gospel, that missions, it's not a sub-thing. It's not an extra. It's not an addition to the church. Truthfully, it is the church. That's what we are. We are about the gospel. We are about missions. It is everything that we are. And if you believe that, then honestly, everything else here is going to flow with that. So all that was just introduction. Now we can get into the text. Just kidding. Kind of, but not really. So some of you are like, man, okay, I'm scared. Like, how are we going to, we're just going to cover this kind of quickly. And so all that being said, if, it can, if that can be there for you, it'll help you get this. So dive in with me now in verse 5. Writing to Gaius, he says, Beloved, you do faithfully 
whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So Gaius is this good example, and John just simply says, hey, you are doing faithfully. You are doing faithfully, whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Now, I want to just be honest. There are Bible students, and even sometimes some translations that will go this way, who will talk about this section and focus on hospitality, uh, and focus on this love that we are to have for one another. And I want to just pause and say, that's a good thing. I mean, like, we are meant to do that. I mean, we've talked about this often recently. Even in the book of First John, one of the key themes in there was, you know, that we love one another. Here's how all men will know you're my disciples, Jesus says, by the love you have for one another. So please understand, that's a big deal. I just don't think it's this deal. I would hold to you, if you just read this simply, we're not talking about being hospitable or being kind as Christians. We're talking about missions. We're talking about, so John is saying, hey, you know, those people who are doing it, who are taking the gospel into the world, they've reported back to John, hey, this is a guy that does this well. See, here's how it worked. It happened then. It's still actually happening the same way, but think about it this way. So Jesus commanded us to go, take the gospel into the known world, and that's exactly what began to happen. So people like Paul uh, would have this heart of saying, I, I want to take the gospel not where it's already been named. I want to take it where nobody knows anything about it. I want, I want to go somewhere where nobody knows about and I want to take that. And so it happened. And so people would have this apostolic calling, this calling to be apostles and missionaries. And so they would leave and they would literally, you know, go. And so maybe a church would be, you know, people get saved and a church would get planted in the city. And now that church became a launching pad for it to go further. So that every time it happened, it was like, okay, you're going, and then they would come, and, and they would just keep going. And so that's actually what's happening. There are these group of people that, you know, John is talking about there in verse 7 that, you know, they've gone forth for his namesake. They're not, they're not being supported by the Gentiles. They're not going out there and asking the Gentiles to pay them to be missionaries. He says, no, the church is, is now this power behind this gospel message going into the world. And so the idea is we're talking about missions. We're talking about what that looks like, and he's encouraging us to have this faithful response to this, which I think is great. So let me just give you a quick little side nugget that we could spend a bunch of time on, but it might be helpful for one person. I love the way he refers to it here. It's so beautiful that he just simply says, you've done faithfully whatever you have done. You've done faithfully whatever you have done for these brethren and strangers in sending them forward. I just want to tell you that puts it in a realm in our lives that is the right um, appreciation for it. God never asks us to be successful. He never asks us uh, to be, you know, know, whatever the measure or metric the world would have. He says, I just want you to be faithful. Whatever I've asked you to do, you do that. Be faithful with what you have. And he says, whatever you do for this, that's faithfulness. I like the way when Jesus was talking about Mary who washes his feet, he just simply says, she did what she could. I love that. And, and I just want to hold that out in a gracious way, in a way that maybe for one person this morning, God is not asking you to be what you're not. He's asking you to be what you are, but to make sure that you get it, 
that, that, that you get this in your life that it's meant to be there. So what does Gaius do? Well, he does faithfully that, and he does a couple of things. Notice again in the middle of verse 6, he says, If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. He says, you ought to send them. You ought to send them forward. Like, you ought to keep doing this. And Gaius has been doing this. And he actually kind of gives us this huge kind of weight behind it. Do it in a way that's worthy of God. Hey, send them. Send them in a way that is well marked, that that is worthy of God's name, that's worthy of who he is. Hey, do that. and, And Gaius is doing that. It says they've been, you know, he tells us again that they have borne witness that that is exactly what he's been doing, that he's sending them on this journey and and being a part of that. And then he adds to it in verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So he's sending them, he's receiving them. Now, it's an interesting kind of a thing. If this makes any sense, in one sense, that's a little backwards, I mean, in one sense, you, you know, it's, you, to, to, to receive them and send them, you receive them and then send them. I mean, in other words, so there's, this person has got this apostolic missionary calling, and they come and visit the church, and you welcome them, you receive them, and you send them on. But there's just a beautiful place that sending is like the first thing. Like, hey, send them. Hey, that's what we do. We want to be behind sending. We want to be behind what that looks like. And he simply says, if you will do that. If you'll do that, if you'll receive them, you would be fellow workers with them. Like you're partnering in it. It's not just them, it's us. We become workers together so that as as they are taking the gospel into unknown regions, we are part of that, that we're meant to be a part of that, that it's meant to be what we do, which I absolutely love. That again, if you think about what missions is, it's never meant to be them. It's always meant to be us. It's always meant to be us, whether we are on the sending side or or, or we're on the going side, which we'll talk about in coming weeks. It is meant to be us. It is what we do. And I just want to tell you, Gaius is doing a really good job at this. I mean, I I wish I could just hold the wording of it more beautifully to you than I can, but it's just so beautiful. In fact, I want to read it one more time before we just talk practically for a couple moments. Notice it again. Let me just go back and start in verse 5. Beloved. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church if you send them forward on their journey in a manner that's worthy of God. You do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Like, we're here for the truth of the gospel. We're here to do that. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Can I give you just a few quick practical things before we kind of wind up this morning? Things that you could think through. Okay, if this is what we're meant to do, if we're meant to do this, how do we make sure that we're doing that? Well, I just want to give you four quick things that I think would be true for every person here in this room. And the first is, you should believe this. I spent the most time on this this morning because honestly, it's the most influential. Scripturally, we are always meant to, our, our behavior is always meant to be established by our beliefs. That God always calls us to believe, to, to see and know the truth and let that change than what we do. And it would be dangerous 
if you just said, okay, I'm going to do this so that I can check a box off, and it's done. Like, okay, I did missions. I kind of did whatever that is. Can we go on to something else? Instead of coming and saying, I, I want my heart to be gripped by the gospel. What are we? What are we doing in this world? We're the light of the world. I mean, we're it. I mean, this is the gospel. This is, this is missions. We are a part of something that is bigger than this church. It's around the world. God is bringing to him people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you ever feel that? I love it. At the end of book, uh, in Acts chapter 2, there's this great statement that just is, is kind of just picturesque of what was happening in that day, but I believe it's been true every day since. It ends Acts 2 by saying that day by day, God was bringing to himself those that would be saved. And so I think about it. Today, wherever that happens, wherever it happens, if it happens here in America, if it happens in North Korea or China or Iran or Africa, and people get saved, that's our family. We just won. We, we are seeing the gospel go forward, and it's us. We're meant to be a part of that, and you're meant to believe that. And if you believe that, it'll change what you do. It'll change how you live because you believe that, that the gospel is what we are. You believe that, that we are about that, and that's, again, the key. That's, again, the key about Third John is that when we get it wrong, when, when the church gets wrong and we become church-centric and, and really selfish in our own life, what can happen for a church happens for an individual. We make the whole world about us, like it's just about me. Everything's about me being happy. It's not really about, you know, the gospel or anybody else. It always goes wrong, and that's the message. So begin with just believing, being one who, who by faith understands that missions is what we do. Then that should flow into your prayer life. That should flow into what you do. Prayer is one of the great keys of God's work going forward. It's always been that way. Paul would say it over and over. As he was taking the gospel into the unknown regions, he said, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. God opens doors. Pray for opportunities. Pray for the gospel to go forward. And prayer has always been the power of missions. It has always been the way that it goes forward. And we're meant to be a people that pray. Now, just, this is just honest. I mean, don't, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But I am asking, so do you pray for missions? How much do you pray for missions? Is, is missions one of those things that you're like, okay, every now and then, just, I'll think about it, but you know, it's not really a big part of my prayer life. And I want to just say, if it's not, it ought to be. Not in just a legalistic way, but this is what we are. We are, the, we are about the gospel. Missions is meant to be a part of your prayer life, and I just want to invite you to do so. If you're looking for a good place to begin, can I remind you of what you're involved in? So here at this church, if this is your church, if this is where you go, if you're, you know, contributing, offering, putting your tithes and offerings here, maybe you already knew this, maybe you didn't. We support every single month 25 different mission groups or individuals. As a church, every month we are doing that, you're doing that. That what basically our, our leadership has, has looked into, and so basically, you know, all the tithes and offerings that come in here, we give away 21% of that. I mean, just like we just say, hey, just right off the bat, we didn't start there. We started at 10%, feeling like, hey, that's a good kind of a, you know, we ought to be an example of a believer in a church. But every time we meet, we're like, let's give away more. <laughs> Let's do more for missions. Let's, 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 do, let's, let's see if we can, we can be more involved in what God is doing for the world. And so with great joy right now, you are right now supporting this. But here's what I want to just take a moment to encourage. How good it would be if it's not just the money that we're sending, but the prayers that we're embracing. Maybe you already are. 
If you're not, can I encourage you to pray for these? And maybe you're going to think, well, Jim, how do I know? Well, if you've never noticed, we have this whole mission wall as you walk down our hallway. And there on the mission wall, we even have a little cubby. We have a missions booklet that goes over all 25 of the missions. Tells you a little bit about them. Tells you what they're doing and where they're doing it so you can pray for them. I just want to encourage you to grab one. I just want to encourage you to grab one and and just say, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to start incorporating this into my prayer life so that I could be a part of that and just telling you it would be a great thing to do because you're already doing it, but we are meant to be a people that pray for it. So may prayer become something that you're doing. And then we are meant to be those who encourage it. That has to be a part of this whole idea of receiving and sending. Encouragement is a key part of the body of Christ. So missionaries need encouragement. Big, big deal. Honestly, they do. And so practical encouragement for those on the field, writing notes, writing letters, emails, massive ought to be a part of our lives. But the idea is is just encouraging it together as a church. We should be those who are excited about people doing missions. We should, like, if somebody in our church, like, I'm praying, maybe somebody from our church, like, you're going to say, I want to go, Jim, that would be amazing. Or maybe somebody comes to our church, we should receive them and be like, I'm so excited. Like, I'm excited for what you're doing. I would, I I want to see you go forward in the kingdom of God. We are meant to do that. It is never meant to be something that we stifle. And it's a weird deal. It's a weird deal that churches would stifle missions, but they do. They do. Don't let it be us. Don't let it be you. Let it be one. He's like, man, that, that is, that's, that's the big thing. That's amazing to see people blazing the field for Christ. I want to be those that encourage it. And that would lead to the last of the four practical things. Obviously, it's even financial. It's support. That's what it was here. I mean, you could just read it again there in verse 7. It says, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. So here are these missionaries who are going out. And the last thing, you know, they want to do is go out there and, you know, raise money from the people they're trying to, to evangelize. It's a terrible way to do missions, by the way. Every now and then people try to do it that way. Terrible way to do missions. Missions is really meant to be either the person goes and gets a job to support themselves or the church supports that. That we are about saying, hey, I want to help you go. I want to be your support in going, and it's meant to be that way. It's meant to be what the church is doing, and can I just pause again and tell you, you are. I mean, you are as a church, like 21% of what comes in here is going overseas, and I want to tell you how amazing that is, and I, you know, we'll talk about it maybe more next time or one of the next times, but I'll just pause and say, if you don't know, it would be a sad thing to talk to you about how poorly this is actually happening in the church. You know, there are those who look at missions and say, you know, if the whole church were to give 3%, 5% of what they came in, we could fund every mission agency in the world, fully funded. Everything would happen, and it's not happening. Many churches have no part of missions. They're like, you know what, we do us. We do us. We don't do missions. We don't, we're not a part of that. Some have, you know, little bits. It's a rare deal to find people who say, no, we, we like do missions. Like, that's what we want to do, but that's what we're supposed to do. And I want to tell you, that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're not in any way kind of patting ourselves on the back because we recognize we need to grow so very much more in this. But I'm encouraging you the same. One, that you know this and with joy that you'd be a part of it. Two, hey, you should do it as well. I would love it if on top of whatever ties you, you know, could give wherever you give them, hey, get behind missions. It ought to be something that's a part of your giving. It ought to be where you kind of do that, and it ought to be something you're looking to do. Hey, quick FYI, just as a kind of a practical aside, we love doing this. 
So we have a leadership team, a servant team that oversees our, our finances and our, and our church, and so we, we love doing this. And so I, I just want to speak to you from our heart to yours. Hey, let us know. We are always looking for places to get behind. We are always trying to figure out. I mean, if you look at our list and there's like, hey, I would love to know if our church would ever support this organization, pass the information on to us. We'll start praying about it. But I'll tell you this, one of my great desires is not just to fund organizations, though we do. I like funding people. I like funding people. I love getting to support Dallas Means, and he's been able to come and share here, and he's serving overseas there. I love supporting Mark and Karen down in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I love Corey and Sarah, who are now reaching out into Saudi Arabia. You know, I love being able to be a part of those things. And so if you know those, hey, we're always trying to figure it out, because for us, for me, and for our leadership team, it's one of our great desires. We love doing that. We, like, love getting to be able to support missions, and we hope that heart is yours as well that you would say, I want to do that. I want to be one that says, I want to be about the kingdom of God. Either I'm going to go or I'm going to support somebody going. Either I'm going to go or I'm going to say, I want to be behind those who are going because that is who we are. That is who we are. And that's exactly what Gaius is doing. He is doing it well. He is a good example. And we're going to talk about diatrophies. And ultimately, he's the one that's not doing it well. But this is what he's doing wrong. He's resisting missions. He's resisting that, and we need to see how bad that is. But I'll leave that for next time, but pause here again and just say, I like examples. I like watching somebody do it, knowing that we're not just speaking about this hypothetically, like, well, that'd be great if somebody did that. It's like, people do that. Gaius did that. Like, he was one that loved God. He knew the truth. He, he was walking in it, but he was so excited about what God was doing in the world, and he supported it. He sent, he received, and I just want to encourage that for you and for us today. So let's close there. It's a good place for us to end, so you can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever that is, and let's just take a moment to, to land this and just say, okay, where do we go with this? What do we do with this this morning? Well, there are a couple of thoughts. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you got in this morning and you're watching, you're watching online. Can I simply tell you, we so want you to know Jesus. That's why we're here. We are a people about the gospel. We are about the people about offering the hope of Jesus to a people that don't know that, and we want you to know Jesus. We, 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 yes, we want people in China to know Jesus, but we want you to know Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only Savior. He's the only source. He is life. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then know this. That's why we're here. That's why we're still on planet Earth. That's why God hasn't taken us home yet is because we're still about the gospel. And you are it. We're wanting you to get saved. So give your life to Jesus. Come up, talk to us afterwards. We would love to do that. Many of you this morning are believers. Some of you, you're doing really well. Like I'm saying these things this morning, you're like, I believe this. I, 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 I pray for missions. I'm supporting missions. Uh, you know, I want to be involved in that. Maybe you're even thinking about going on a mission trip, or maybe you're even thinking about being a missionary. Well done. Well done. Keep doing it. There's so much in our world that would move you away from having the heart for the world that God has. If you're doing well, just be encouraged in that. But if you're doing poorly, I think it would be helpful for you just to admit that you're doing poorly. That, see, the danger is that for some people, they could look on what I'm saying this morning and say, yeah, you know, there are some people that are excited about missions, not me. <laughs> like, like, there are other people that are missions-minded. It's not who I am. It's just not the way I do Christianity. Then you do Christianity wrong. Can I, I mean, I just mean that nicely, but you're doing it wrong. 
We are a people meant to be about the gospel. We are meant to be about the kingdom of God. We are meant to be about missions. That is meant to be our heart. And if it's not yours, how good it would be for you just to say, God, my heart's wrong. Like, fix it. Like, change me. Help me to get reoriented. So I love what you're doing. So I love the kingdom of God. So I'm excited that somewhere around the world today, people are getting saved. That people are coming to Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That should be like, yes, that's what I really wanted to have happen today. That's better than anything else that I could ask for. Uh, you know, better than countries being successful or wars being won or famines being, you know, ended. It's the gospel. That's what I want to see happen. And if that's where your heart needs to get, ask him for that. So let's pray for that. I'm going to give you a quiet moment to pray. I'm going to do the same thing. Maybe, again, it's you just praying for this right now, continuing something you already prayed for. Or maybe, again, it's you asking God, reorient my heart around your heart so that I have a heart for the world that you have a heart for. And, and may God just cause us to be those people. So you take a moment and pray. I'll do the same. I'll come back and close and worship in a moment. God, you are such an amazing God. Think about your heart. You so love the world that you sent your son. That you, in that sense, are the greatest sender there has ever been. Jesus, that you came. You became man. Fully God, fully man. To die on the cross for us. To be our salvation. You're the greatest missionary there ever has been. And you call us to, to join you in, in what you are, that as you were sent, we're sent. Holy Spirit, you're powering this today. You said that we, you would be the one that would give us the ability to shine for Christ, to live for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. God, help us to be in step with you. Help us to be in step with who you are and what you are and what you're doing. I believe that you're still doing it. You're still building your church. I believe that even today, 
You're drawing to yourself those that would be saved around the world, and, and I look on that with incredible joy. I know that that's the, 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 the best part of what today is, is that there are people being saved, some here in America, maybe in this room, but some across the world. And I look at that day we're going to stand before you, and I know that I will know it better then than I do now. But that's what really matters. God, help us to be about this. Help us to be about the gospel. Help us to be about it in heart. Help us to be about it in life. Help us to be about it in activity. May we be a people that join you in what you're doing. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are doing this and you will do it to the end. That Jesus, you said you are with us even to the end of the age. We thank you for that and just ask for us just to continue to walk with you in that and partner in missions with all those who are actively doing that. But help us to be that. We ask for it right now. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>